I, I love worshiping the Lord with you guys. You sound like a thousand, actually. It's wonderful. Uh, we're, we're in the part of, of the Bible that you probably do not have any of these verses on your refrigerator or your mirrors. You'll never see any of these verses in a devotional. We're at the end of the book of Jeremiah. And last week we had communion, so we had to kind of cut it short in the middle of a a very, very long chapter in the book of Jeremiah. We're going to backtrack just a couple of verses here. We're going to start in Jeremiah chapter 48, verse 26. It says, Make him drunk, because he exalted himself against the Lord. Moab shall wallow in his vomit, and he shall also be in derision. For was not Israel a derision to you? Was he found among thieves? For whenever you speak of him, you shake your head in scorn. You who dwell in Moab, leave the cities and dwell in the rock, and be like the dove which makes her nest in the sides of the cave's mouth. We have heard the pride of Moab. He is exceedingly proud of his loftiness and arrogance and pride and of the haughtiness of his heart. I know his wrath, says the Lord, for it is not right. His lies have made him nothing right. Therefore, I will wail for Moab. I will cry out for all Moab. I will mourn for the man of Kerhariz, O vine of Sibma. I will weep for you with the weeping of Jezer. Your plants have gone over the sea. They reached the sea of Jazir. They, the plunderer has fallen on your summer fruit and your vintage. Joy and gladness are taken from the plentiful field and from the land of Moab. And I have caused wine to fail from the wine presses. No one will tread with joyous shouting, not joyous shouting. From this cry of Heshbon to Aleh to Yahaz, they have uttered their voice. From Zoar to Hornamim, like a three-year-old heifer, for the waters of Nimrim also shall be desolate. Moreover, says the Lord, I will cause to cease in Moab the one who offers sacrifices in the high places. And burns incense to his gods. Therefore my heart shall wail like flutes for Moab. And like flutes my heart shall wail for the man of Kerhariz. Therefore the riches they have acquired have perished. For every head shall be bald and every beard clipped. On all the heads shall be cuts and on the loins sackcloth. A general lamentation on all the housetops of Moab and in its streets. For I have broken Moab like a vessel in which is no pleasure, says the Lord. They shall wail how she is broken down, how Moab has turned her back with shame. So Moab shall be a derision and a dismay for all those about her. Verse 40, for thus says the Lord, Behold, one shall fly like an eagle and spread his wings over Moab, Kariath is taken, and the strongholds are surprised. The mighty man's heart in Moab on that day shall be like the heart of a woman in birth pangs. Moab shall be destroyed as a people, because he exalted himself against the Lord. And so, Father, we come before you tonight in this 
um, obscure part of the book of, of Jeremiah, this obscure part of the, the Bible in general. Lord, I, I thank you that we've had the privilege of going through the whole book of Jeremiah and now uh, very, very close to the end, your cry for the surrounding nations, just like you do for us, even though we may not even have a single drop of Jewish blood, you cry out for us to the Gentiles, the surrounding nations, and you still cry out for us, Lord, and we thank you for that. Help us to be able to apply these verses tonight, how we can see even in our own lives, just like Moab, we too have pride. We too want to tell you what to do rather than listening to you. We, we, we too want to um, tell you how to rule the earth or, or to do things in our own life or the way that you should do things in our own time. Lord, please forgive us. Forgive us for our pride. Or, or as it says in this last phrase, this last verse, when we tell you what to do, we exalt ourselves before you. Lord, please, please help us to be humble before the presence of an almighty God who gave his life for us. Lord, I thank you for these, my friends, my family here tonight. I ask you bless them, bless their time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Last week we learned that we're in the longest book in the entire Bible. We started this actually uh, the first Wednesday in uh, December of last year. And you saw the, you know, the, the chart that I showed you guys last week. And, and even though it only has 52 chapters, less than, you know, one-third of the book of Psalms or, or shorter even than Isaiah in terms of chapters, if you would count all the words, there's more words in Jeremiah than there is in the Psalms or even in Isaiah or Genesis or Exodus or any of the books in the New Testament. And this is an extremely long book, and, and you have to understand why this is, because this is the lowest point in Israel's history. What, what has just happened? Two weeks ago, we learned that, that literally the temple has been burned. That, that beautiful temple that King Solomon built has been destroyed, the very foundations. You read the, the last chapter, we'll be able to read it next week, but chapter 52 of Jeremiah summarizes what happened. How literally that beautiful temple is now torn to the ground and all the utensils of gold that were used in the ceremony of worshiping the God uh, of the universe, the creator of all things, is, are now being taken away, literally carted away to Babylon to be used in their parties as you're going to read about in the book of Daniel. That the walls that surround Jerusalem have been destroyed piece by piece. There's no more walls. There's no more temple. And the last remnant in the land of Israel are now no longer in Israel. Where are they? As we read two weeks ago, they're in Egypt. Back to the place where they started all the way back in the book of Exodus choosing to go back to the land where they were once slaves. This is the downfall of Israel. And Jeremiah, he's having to record all this. 
He has to record uh, what is happening in the very gates and the very houses within the walls of Jerusalem. And if you join us in a couple of weeks, once we start the book of Lamentations, you'll see in really, really vivid details what is happening. The famine and the, you know, horrendous drought that is taking place. The diseases and pestilence that are happening during the siege. And Jeremiah is having to record it all. But of course, his focus, just like all the other prophets in the Bible, isn't just on Israel, thank God. It's also directed in the last, uh, you know, five chapters of Jeremiah toward the surrounding nations. Moab, Ammon, Edom, Elam, Babylon. All, all these surrounding nations are also going to be warned by God. Repent of your sins. And this is where we're at now. We're in the nation of Moab. And, and if you remember from last week, the, the pictures, and, and if you weren't ha here last week, you can and look at those pictures uh, on the previous week's uh, uh, recording. But Moab is now, today, modern Jordan. Uh, it, it's the nation that's on the other side of the Jordan River, on the eastern side of the Jordan uh, River. And of course, Moab and Ammon, you remember uh, from a couple of weeks ago, were your brothers and cousins at the same exact time. They were the sons and at the same exact time, his uh, grandsons of Lot through his own uh, daughters after they had left Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Moab is actually a you know, relative of the Israelites being the descendants of the nephew of Abraham. These would have been the cousins, the second cousins of Israel himself, Jacob. And so the, the picture that we see here is that why is this judgment coming upon Moab? Why is this even mentioned in the Bible? Why do we see Moab's name throughout the different uh, prophets? D does God still love other people groups? Does God still reach out to other people groups? Even in the Old Testament, he does. Way before John wrote, you know, 316, for God so loved the, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, right, believes in him shall have everlasting uh, life. And the same is true even in the Old Testament because God is the, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still loved the world even in the Old Testament. He's still warning the Moabites through Jeremiah. But, but what is the thing that is most pressing on Jeremiah in terms of what he sees in the nation of Moab in terms of the depths of their sin. It says there in verse, 20, uh, verse uh, 29 and also in the last verse that we read here in verse 42. It says, we have heard the pride of Moab. He is exceedingly proud of his loftiness and arrogance and pride. And of the haughtiness of his heart. And then uh, skipping ahead to verse 42. It says, and Moab shall be destroyed as a people because he exalted himself against the Lord. 
And even if you don't know any of these names that I've been reading, uh, or, or any of these towns, or even any of these cities, or these places here, can we understand the part <clears throat> that Moab is being warned of their pride? And just like Moab some 2,500 years ago, do we still need to be warned of our pride? Because as you read throughout the whole Bible, many, many times, not only the Israelites, not only the Moabites, not only the Ammonites, not only the Canaanites, not only the other ites in the Bible, <clears throat> the sin of pride goes all the way back before human beings were even made. The very first sin. What, what caused Lucifer to fall? Pride. It also goes back to the very origin of what it means to sin. No matter what sin it is, whether it's a lie, an adultery, a, a murderous thought, some sort of jealousy, envy, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It always originates with what? Because what am I telling God when I want to do things my way? Now, I'm, I'm telling God... I want to be in control. And I don't want you to tell me what to do. The very definition of what it means to have pride. I'm proud. You understand that what is being described here is saying, I'm better than you, God. And I know how to do it better than you. And we may not admit it, but guess what all of us try to do? We, we, we may not, you know, say it out loud, but subconsciously we say, I want to do it my way, God. And this is what is happening in the nation of Moab, the nation of Israel, as we read in the, the previous 45 chapters in the book of Jeremiah. There's an amazing parable in the, the New Testament, Luke chapter 18. You've probably heard this before. You're probably more familiar with this parable than, you know, the whole book of, of Jeremiah here. And by the way, I love going to a church where we can read through the Bible, you know, just uh, Every book that we go through, it's my favorite book until we get to the next book and then it'll be my favorite book. And I hope it is for you too. But in the book of Luke chapter 18 verse 9, it says this also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other tax collector. Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even this tax collector. By the way, he's saying this out loud. With an earshot of the person that's down on the ground. The tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. How many of us like to boast of what we do for God? It's pride. 
And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest or breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know the, the, the meaning behind the parable, right? Jesus tells us, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. And exactly the same wording is used here in Luke that is used all the way back in Jeremiah. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is what Moab is doing. They're exalting themselves. Look at all these great accomplishments that we have. Look at all these great things that we've done as a nation. And what is God warning them through the prophet Jeremiah? You're going to be destroyed. You're going to be humbled. You're going to be brought down. In fact, so much so, it says in verse 43, going back to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 48. And again, these are very, very long chapters. And just as a side note, like I said at the beginning, I mean... You're very seldom, if ever, you will ever see a devotional on any of these. Oh, we'll, 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 we'll have Jeremiah 29 and 11, you know. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. But any of the rest of the book of Jeremiah, very seldom, unless you actually read through the Bible. And these are some of the richest, meatiest parts of the entire Bible. The, the more obscure sections, if you will, of uh, the scriptures. The prophets, the minor prophets, the book of Lamentation, if you read the whole thing, which again, we will read in a couple of weeks. It's amazing to see how God loves the world and how he wants them to repent of their sins. Verse 43, it continues on, the fear and the pit and the snare shall be upon you, O inhabitant of Moab, says the Lord. He who flees from the fear shall fall into the pit, and he who gets out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For upon Moab, upon it, I will bring the year of their punishment, says the Lord. Do you see the sarcasm in the words of Jeremiah? What are they running from? The, the Moabites, this once great nation, what are they running from? Nothing. Fear, that's it. They're, they're just running because they're scared. I know all of us have been in that situation before, unfortunately. But then what happens? They, they fall into a pit. They, they somehow escape from that pit. And then what happens again? They get snared. They get caught. This is what it's like. To be proud, to have that internal perception of myself that I am better than everybody else. I'm better than God even. Those who fled stood under the shadow of Heshbon because of exhaustion. But a fire shall come out of Heshbon, a flame from the midst of Sihon, and shall devour the brow of Moab, the crown of the head of the sons of Tolmet. Woe to you, O Moab, 
The people of Chemosh perish, for your sons have been taken captive, and your daughters captive. Thank God for the, his love, his mercy and grace, because it says in verse 47, Yet I will bring back the captives of Moab in the latter days, says the Lord. Thus far as the judgment of Moab. You see, the fear drives them uh, to run just randomly because they're scared. They fall into the pit. They climb out. They fall into the snare. They're exhausted, as it says in verse 45, just from sheer running in fear. They're going to be caught. They're going to be put in captivity in Babylon. But yeah, this is the amazing thing about God. And just like the Israelites who are going to come back to the land, will God still save a remnant from Moab? Wow. In fact, if you read the book of Revelation, there'll be people from every single tribe, tongue, and nationality in the throng of heaven. The privilege of meeting Moabites in heaven. Then you can ask them where these places are. You can ask them how to pronounce the names. Because I don't. I butcher them all the time. The next nation is the Ammonites. The brother slash cousin at the same exact time of Moab. Moab and Ammon. They were the sons and grandsons of Lot, the nephew of Abraham. Now, they don't get as much attention here. They're the younger brother, and that's probably the reason why. But also, they were a smaller nation as well. They, they were also on the other side of the Jordan River, on the eastern side of the Jordan River. This is one of the nations that the Israelites had to actually travel through when they were coming out of Egypt during the time of Moses. In fact, it was Moab and Ammon that they asked for assistance. Can we, you know, buy food from you as they're traveling through their territory? And it was the Moabites and the Ammonites who told them, no, you can't. They actually had to go around the long way around the, the northern part of Moab and Ammon. It says in chapter 49 there, against the Ammonites, thus says the Lord, has Israel no son, has he no heir? Why then does Milcom inherit Gad and his people shall dwell in its cities? Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will cause to be heard an alarm of war in Rabbah of the Ammonites. It shall be a desolate mound, and her villages shall be burned with fire. Then Israel shall take possession of his inheritance, says the Lord. Wail, O Heshbon, for I is destroyed or is plundered. Cry, you daughters of Rabbah, gird yourselves with sackcloth, lament, and run to and fro by the walls, for Milcom shall go into captivity with his priests and his princes together. You see, the Ammonites had not only had territory on the eastern side of the Jordan River, but uh, throughout the previous 200 or so years, the, the Ammonites had actually taken over territories within the, the territory or the, the national boundaries of Israel. 
And you kind of recognize some of these places, Gad, which was the northern tribe. Gad and Reuben were uh, both what were considered on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Remember, Reuben and Gad, they were the ones that said, we want our territory on the eastern side. They were the two and a half tribes along with the, the tribe of Manasseh that wanted a portion on the eastern side. Not on the promised land side, but on the eastern side. The tribe of Gad. But also this two-letter uh, city here that's only vowels. A-I, right? You guys remember where that's from? Book of Joshua, right? This was the city that was really tiny. And after the Israelites had conquered Jericho, this big, massive city with huge, thick walls by walking around, they come to Ai and they say, oh, this will be a piece of cake, right? Until the people in Ai, however you um, pronounce the Aites or whatever they're called, the people of Ai come rushing out and the Israelites really turn tail and run. You see, this is where the Ammonites were. On the western side of the Jordan, in the territory of Israel. And they had come back to Ai. They were actually living in Ai, in the territory or the nation of Israel. What is happening here? I love this. Verse 4, why do you boast in the valleys, your flowing valley, O backsliding daughter who trusted in her treasures, saying, who will come against us? Again, pride. Again, exalting themselves. But in the case of the Ammonites, what were they trusting in? Their wealth. Their ability to buy someone to protect them. Their ability to buy mercenaries, if you will. In fact, this is exactly what they're doing. They're bribing other people to come and protect them from the Babylonians. And of course, this isn't going to fly well. It says in verse 5, Behold, I will bring fear upon you, says the Lord God of hosts. For all those who are around you shall be driven out. You're going to have all this money... You can have all these treasures, but they're worthless. You can't buy protection if there's no one to protect you. You shall be driven out, everyone headlong, and no one shall gather those who wander off. But afterward, I will bring back the captivities of the people of Ammon, says the Lord. The descendants of Lot. What is God doing with the descendants of Lot? Does he still love them? Is he still going to bring them back? Yes, he will. By the way, you remember the story. We kind of went into it a little bit more detail last week. But when Abraham and Lot were traveling, what did Abraham do for his nephew? He gave him first choice. The one that should have preferred, you know, the uncle is given that preferential treatment, is God still looking out for the nephew, the descendants of the nephew of Aram? Yes, he is. Verse 7, we come to another nation, and 
many of you that either came on Wednesday night or Wednesday mornings or or Monday nights, you, you know this nation, it's against Edom. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Who are the Edomites? It's kind of hard to tell because it's not like Moab and Ammon. You know, their names are actually in the Bible. This is actually a, a translation in the Hebrew, a, a conversion of Esau to Edom. The descendants of Esau weren't the Esau's. They were the Edomites. They, they became Edom, the nation of Edom, this huge, massive, nomadic nation that literally would go into a territory and take everyone as slaves and then sell them to another nation. In fact, when you read in the book of Genesis about Joseph being sold by his brothers into slavery, it was the Edomites. It was the Edomites who bought him and then sold him into slavery in Egypt. You see, the descendants of Esau were just like their, you know, father. They were known for their hunting skills. They were, they were known for their ferocity. They were, they were known for the ability to survive. And they were known for that distinguishing feature of red hair. The very definition of what Esau means, by the way, or Edom means too, red. They surrounded themselves with red. They lived in red rocks. They, they lived in the territory of, of other areas in the very hardest places to be able to survive. In the wilderness, that's where they lived. They were, they were rough and tumble people. Look, look how it describes them here. And in verse 7, is wisdom no more in Taman? Has counsel perished from the prudent? Has their wisdom vanished? Flee, turn back, dwell in the depths, O inhabitants of Dedan, for I will bring the calamity of Esau upon him, the time that I will punish him. If great gatherers come to you, would they not leave some gleaning grapes? If thieves by night, would they not destroy until they have enough? But I have made Esau bare. I have uncovered his secret places, and he shall not be able to hide himself. His descendants are plundered, his brethren and his neighbors, and he has no more. Leave your fatherless children, I will preserve them alive. Let your widows trust in me. Again, crying out with mercy and grace to the descendants of Esau. Now, of course, just like Moab and Ammon, it was because of pride that they are uh, being brought into this devastating position. But is God still going to reach out to them? In fact, who is he crying out to? The very last phrase there. The widows. Those that were, would have been considered the weakest of the, you know, uh, tribes. The weakest of the na nation. Two years ago, I had the privilege of going to a, a place uh, very close to the pictures that I showed you uh, last week uh, of Petra. And you can see the, the pictures here. 
And by, by the way, those guys in the back are amazing. You've probably seen this picture before. This is the picture where you, literally in, you know, Raiders, not, um, not of the Lost Ark, but the third one in the series. They, they come out of this narrow passageway and they come to this amazing area called Petra. What color is the rock there? Next picture. This is how big this place. It's massive. It is just huge. Literally carved out of the rock by the descendants of Esau. And not only the amazing work that you see here and uh, but also there's, there's literally irrigation channels in, in the caves, in the, the valleys of the various uh, parts of the, the rock that are, you know, able to bring in uh, water to this, to this area. Next picture. Uh, this is Sam. He's right back there, by the way. Um, this is absolutely breathtaking. And for centuries and centuries, it was vacant. For centuries and centuries, people didn't live here until it was rediscovered and made into a tourist trap, you know. In fact, these are some of the people that actually live there. I got to meet them. My wife and I got to meet them. They're making us tea in that picture, next picture there. This is their youngest brother who was a tour guide there, he was just 14 years old, younger than our, our son who went with us. And, and the perspective of this area is just absolutely amazing. Do you see the background? To, to have a place literally carved out of the rock, a fortress, if you will, and this is where the descendants, the Edomites, would have dwelled. This is the place where they had literally carved their homes out of the rock. In fact, if you go into the caves, even today, there's people that live with their animals in the caves. Just absolutely an amazing place uh, to visit. And by the way, if you're, you're a guy, we're going to be showing some of these pictures again on, on Monday night if you want to uh, come and look at some of these things. Continues on in verse 12 of our journey through the last part of the book of Jeremiah. For thus says the Lord, behold, those whose judgment was not to drink of the cup have assuredly drunk. And are you the one who will together be I'll go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, but you shall surely drink of it. For I've sworn by myself, says the Lord, that Basra shall become a desolation, a reproach, a waste, and a curse, and all its cities shall be a perpetual waste. I have heard a message from the Lord, and an ambassador has been sent to the nations. Wow. This literally reads a, a person who is representative of God has gone to the Gentiles. Even in the Old Testament, does God still reach out to the nations that are not Israelites? Does God still reach out? Yes, he does. Now, of course, we understand that 
You know, the Israelites were the chosen people of God, even to this day. But the understanding here that God doesn't just solely focus on one nation or provide salvation for one people group, thank God. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who was the one that was came to save his people from their sins, also reaches out to the rest of the world. The people from other nations. The Ammonites, the Moabites, the Edomites, the whatever nation you are from, thank God. Your fierceness has deceived you. Again, that word that we've been seeing repeated over and over and over again, the pride of your heart. Oh, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, who hold the height of the hill, though you make your nest as high as the eagle, I shall bring you down from there. And you saw the pictures. Isn't it amazing when you actually visualize it? What was it like for when the Babylonians came into the territories of Edom and then literally having to drag them out of their caves? This is what it's being described as. The hardest places of guerrilla warfare by people that knew the territory and the land who could blend into the rocks, literally, could melt away into the caves and the rocks and not be seen because they too were also red. God is saying this is going to happen. Something that Edom would never even have thought of in verse 17. Edom also shall be an astonishment. Everyone who goes by it will be astonished and will hiss at all its plagues. These, these people that were once known for their hardy nature... Their ability to survive in hostile territories are now going to be, you know, a derision or an astonishment. These once proud people are now going to be brought down low. Verse 18 is in the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighbors, says the Lord. No one shall return there or remain there, excuse me, nor shall a, a son of man dwell in it. And again, just as we've seen throughout history with uh, the territory of Petra. But by the way, this Sodom and Gomorrah, you guys remember, you know, going all the way back to the Ammonites and the Moabites. But uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, they were also known for their pride, Right. Just like today, what do people like to boast about? I, I need my rights. I have pride in who I am. There's nothing new under the sun. We hold banners about it now. Verse 19, behold, he shall come up like a lion from the flood pain of the Jordan against the dwelling place of the strong, but I will suddenly make him run away from her and who is a chosen man that I may appoint over her for who is like me, who will arraign me and who is that shepherd who will withstand me. All three of those me's are capitalized, by the way, referring to God. Therefore, hear the counsel of the Lord that he has taken against Edom and his purposes that he has proposed against the inhabitants of Taman, surely the least of the flock, 
shall draw them out. Surely he will make their dwelling places desolate. With them the earth shakes at the noise of their fall. At the cry of its noise is heard at the Red Sea. Interesting, by the way, the colors here. Behold, he shall come up and fly like an eagle and spread his wings over Basra, the heart of the mighty man of Edom in that day, like the heart of a woman in birth pangs. This once proud nation that was known for their ability to survive in the harshest of environments is now running scared. You see, all these nations, Moab, Ammon, Edom, all these relatives of Israel are being warned by God. Humble yourselves. Just as he's doing today, by the way. And aren't you glad that he still reaches out to the Gentiles? Verse 23, against Damascus. Hamath and Arpad are shamed, for they have heard bad news. They are fainted. There is trouble on the sea. It cannot be quiet. Damascus has grown feeble. She turns to flee, and fear has seized her. Anguish and sorrows have taken her uh, like a woman in labor. Where have you heard Damascus before? <clears throat> this is north of Israel. I remember hearing it in the book of Acts. There was a guy by the name of Saul, by the way, who was on the road to. In fact, he got his warrants in Damascus, the northern part of Israel. And he, he was going down, he was trapping and imprisoning these people that were a new sect called Christians. And there on that road to Damascus, what happened to that guy by the name of Saul? Struck down. Why are you persecuting me, Saul? Right? Of course, we know him by the name that he was uh, transformed into, Paul, right? Who became a, a great um, missionary for the Lord. Also, this city of Damascus, just the, an afterthought, by the way. It was also mentioned by Philip. This is the very first place where Christians are called Christians. It was Philip, the deacon, who went there and told them about um, Jesus Christ. Damascus has grown feeble. She turns to flee in fear, has seized her anguish and sorrows, have taken her like a woman in labor. Why is the city of praise not deserted, the city of my joy? Therefore her young men shall fall in her streets, and all the men of war shall be cut off in that day, says the Lord of hosts. I will kindle a fire in the wall of Damascus, and it shall consume the palaces Ben-Hadad, and this is, again, the northern territory of, of Israel, which should have been the, the you know, uh, tribes of Reuben uh, up in the, the northern section there. It's an absolutely amazing area that have, you know, throughout the history of Israel have been fought over. 
And even today, you know, whether it's back in 1949, 1950, 1948, where there was the three uh, uh, multiple uh, conflicts between the northern part of Israel and Syria, the same area, Ben-Hadad. Verse 28, against Kedar and against the kingdoms of Hazor, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, shall strike. Thus says the Lord, arise, go to, up to Kedar, and devastate the men of the east. Their tents and their flocks shall take away. They shall take for themselves their curtains, all their vessels and their camels, and they shall cry out to them. Fear is on every side. Flee, get away. Dwell in the depths, so inhabitants of Hazor, says the Lord, for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is taking counsel against you and has conceived a plan against uh, you. This literally is a nomadic nation, the, the people of Kedar. You see how it's described there. They didn't have permanent dwelling places. They didn't have uh, walls of stone or, or houses made out of some sort of a, a permanent dwelling. These were people that lived in tents and raised camels. They, they lived a nomadic lifestyle, if you will. They were known for being able to, you know, be in one place one day and then, you know, travel to another place. And they, they, they used this to their advantage on purpose. Because if someone would come in and, you know, want to fight them or, or somehow enslave them, they were able to move places fairly quickly because of all their camels that they had and so when Nebuchadnezzar comes against these nomadic tribes not only coming from uh, the north Babylon area coming through these territories not only is he scattering uh, the various nomadic tribes of Kadar the men of the east but he's also disturbing the territories that were surrounding Israel too Look at what it says there in verse 31. Arise, go up to the wealthy nation that dwells securely, says the Lord, which has neither gates nor bars. They could pick up their tents and go to another place very, very easily. Dwelling alone, their camels shall be for booty and the multitude of their cattle for plunder. I will scatter to all the winds those in the farthest corners and I will bring their calamity from all its sides, says the Lord. Hazor shall be a dwelling for jackals, a desolation forever. No one shall reside there, nor son of man dwell in it. You see, the unique thing that Babylon was able to do that no other nation was able to do to the descendants of Kedar was surround them. Their armies were so big, so vast, that they were literally able to surround these nomadic tribes. So when they picked up their tents and their camels to go somewhere else, who was there waiting for them? This encircling army. They, they didn't have to tear down any walls, but they literally had to corral this nation. And then, of course, they took their plunder, their camels... Their, their own flocks and used it for their own purposes, their military purposes, by the way. 
Verse 34, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet against Elam in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> and again, these obscure nations, these, you know, people groups that are on the other side of the world that most of us have no idea what these places are. And the illustration I always like to use, and those of you that have been here before know this, you know, just like someone coming to Kern County, you know, asking where's Tehachapi? Or some sort of pronunciation of Tehachapi that's really, really way off. Or Taft. Or, you know, Arvin. Or some place that we know fairly well, you know, at least I know which direction it's in, right? It's the same thing. We, we live here, so we know where places are. And it's the same thing with this territory, this part of the world. The, the, the people of Israel, the surrounding nations, they know where these places are. You see, the nation of Elam is the, um, uh, I guess you could say, the, the ancestors or the, the people that came before the Persians. These were the pre-Persians. That this was the territory that actually was enslaved by the Babylonians. You see, in the history of the world, uh, that you had the Assyrians who were before the Babylonians, and they're the ones that took over the, the ten tribes in the north, the, the Israelites in the north, the nation of Israel. And then, of course, you had the Babylonians, whom we're talking about now, who took over the southern area of Israel, the, the people of Judah. And then the next world power that comes after the Babylonians, you read about this in the book of, Babel, or book of Daniel, are the Persians and the Medes. This is where they come from, Elam, just south of Babylon. It describes them this way, against Elam I will bring the four winds from the four quarters of heaven, and scatter from them toward all those winds. There shall be no nations where the outcasts of Elam will not go. In fact, they are so scattered that they actually are able to bring together all these various factions that the Babylonians had conquered into one nation. The Persians and the Medes, or the Medes and the Persians, from which Darius will come into power during the time of Daniel. Who's going to literally take over Babylon in one night. Just by walking in. A coup's going to take place. A rebellion's going to take place within the territories of Babylon. The descendants of Elam. Where I will cause Elam to be dismayed before their enemies and before those who seek their life. I will bring disaster upon them. My fierce anger, says the Lord, and I will send the sword against them until I have consumed them. And this is very, very interesting. I will set my throne in Elam. And will destroy from there the king and the princes, says the Lord. Predicted at least 70 years, if not 100 years before it happens. The scattered group of people are going to be able to overtake the mighty nation of Babylon. Wow. 
We'll learn about more of that when we get to the book of Daniel. The last verse here of chapter 49 says, But it shall come to pass in the latter days I will bring back the captives of the Alam, says the Lord. Who is it that's going to ask the king of Persia to go back to the land of Israel? That cupbearer by the name of Nehemiah. The one that's going to have the privilege of serving the king of Persia. And ask him, I heard this horrible news about my people. And that same king, the king of Persia, is going to grant passage for the remnant that are in Babylon or Persia to go back to the territory of Israel. Is God still on the throne? Thank God that he is. I, I, I always love doing a, a word search and, and the Elamites are actually in the New Testament. It talks about them in Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 12. This is right before Peter literally gets up and gives that massive chapter-long sermon. It says in verse 5 of chapter 2 of the book of Acts that there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when, their sound, or when this sound occurred, this, the, the sound of the, the Holy Spirit coming down upon them, the multitude came together. They were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. This isn't some sort of heavenly language. This is a language that they were able to hear and understand in their own language. Look at the different languages that are represented here. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? They're just a, a bunch of uh, people that, you know, don't even speak their own language well. How are we able to understand them in our language, our native tongue? How is that possible? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Listen to the different languages that are represented by the apostles as they're speaking to them the word of God. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And by the way, this is why God exiled people from Judah the city of Jerusalem, as we're going to learn in the next couple of books that we're going to be reading. The book of Ezekiel and the book of Daniel. Where God literally chooses people from the nation of Judah to handpick them and place them in the very upper echelons of the Babylonian society. And then also the Persian society or the Elamites. And the Medes. God's going to put them there purposefully. 
so that they have access to the very um, political upper echelons of those societies. Men like Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Misael, or better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or even Ezekiel himself. There on the river Kibar, as he sees that majestic view of God himself, high and lifted up. Next week, we'll, we'll pick it up in chapter 50. I was hoping we could at least start it. But again, I mean, you just scan it and you can see it's massive. So we're going to start over fresh. So I don't have to ask anyone which verse it's going to be on, you know. But do you understand the application? Do you understand the application of these obscure parts of the Bible? Does God still call out to people today in their own language? Does God still cry out to the nations of the world even today? Does he still seek those that have that desire or the propensity for pride in their lives? And does he still cry out for repentance and humbleness of hearts? Yes, he does. And thank God he does, by the way. Because otherwise, you know, none of us would go to heaven. None of us could pay for any of our sins, not even one. Because we, you know, and even like Lucifer, have pride in our lives. And can exalt ourselves to say, tell God what to do rather than the other way around. And I, I thank God for, you know, uh, Kat and Rebecca not only leading us in times of silence, but uh, the, the practice or the discipline of listening to God. Not going with our pre-made agendas, our shopping lists, saying, this is what you got to do, God. This is how I want you to answer my prayers. But rather coming to him with humble hearts, asking him to change ours, to make ourselves look more like God. And this is my prayer for you and my prayer for myself as well. And so, Father, tonight I ask that you would help us to have that desire for humbleness, to, to know that you are still on the throne, as Jeremiah is going to write in the very last verse of of the book of Lamentations, you're still on the throne. You're still sovereign. You're still in control. And help us to always submit ourselves to you. Help us always to align our wills with you rather than the other way around. Lord, please forgive us when we, we want to tell you how to do things, just like the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Edomites and the Elamites and all these other people groups. We can... We can look exactly like them and be so blind when we read these sections of the scriptures and say, this doesn't even apply to me. I think I'm just going to skip over this part. Or this is too hard to read. I think I'm just going to skip over this part. Please forgive us. Help us instead to desire to grow and to search and, and to actually um, even research these sections of the scriptures. 
and have our eyes opened and amazed at the way that they speak to us today. Even more relevant than this morning's newspaper or blog or whatever is trying to take our attention away from you. Help us to desire to grow closer to you, desire to have a relationship with you that's fresh and new every single day. I, I thank you for these, my friends, my family that gave their time tonight to be here. I ask you bless them. I ask you bless them immensely, Lord. That you would help them to grow closer to you and, and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are there in their lives. Encourage them, strengthen them in the hard things that, that they would be different from when they left or when they came in, they would be different when they leave tonight. Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege of reading your word and being able to study it. Lord, I ask that you would reveal to us something new and fresh every single day. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who gives us wisdom and guidance. Help us to desire, desire to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have that relationship with you. That we can come beyond the veil and know that your son is there. That we can come and boldly come into the very throne room of the God and creator of the entire universe. Just like the prophets of old did. Help us to be amazed every single time. That fresh relationship that we can share with you. Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege that we have to come before you. I ask that you help us to desire your will in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.